to Robin Jonah Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest, and as he does every two weeks in the program, what Eric Longenhagen does here is to analyze all prospects of particular note this week. The Arizona Fall League. I spoke with Longenhagen. I spoke with Longenhagen, I should say, on the eve of the AFL Championship game. And I took that opportunity to present to him some players whom, no, some players who had performed excellently by the numbers, and more importantly, by those numbers which tend to be predictive of future success. And I present names and those numbers to Eric Longenagin. Some players included Padres infielder Luis Urias, Royals infielder Nicky Lopez, and Blue Jays infielder Lourdes Gurriel, Lourdes Gurriel, related to Yuli. Guriel of the Houston Astros. We also speak at some length about Birch Smith, who recorded, if I'm not mistaken, the highest strikeout rate of any pitcher who uh, made starts in the Arizona Fall League. Birch Smith pitched for the Padres a few years ago. More also on the Arizona Fall League. Also, Longenhagen published his first organizational prospect list this past week for the St. Louis Cardinals. I asked Longenhagen about the difficulties of evaluating players in a system that famously graduates two or three relatively anonymous players every year, anonymous players who perform ably at the major league level. Most recently, Paul DeYoung and Luke Voigt accomplished that feat. Jose Martinez, too, if you would like to include him in that group of Cardinals rookies. I can't say for sure that Longenhagen identifies the next weird Cardinals rookie, but we do talk at some length about Magnurus Sierra. Magnurus Sierra. Also part of that conversation about Sierra, a broader conversation about speed, sprint speed, using speed scores or sprint speed from StatCast as an indicator for defensive value or perhaps home to first times, uh, perhaps some sort of predictor of infield hits. This riveting conversation uh, with Eric Longany, what's to follow? First, allow me to remind everyone, partly because it is my privilege and also because it is my duty as an employee of Fangraphs that Fangraphs memberships exist for reasonable sum readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages and for a slightly less reasonable sum those same readers can acquire an ad-free membership which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads not only facilitating faster loading speeds but also liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available at Fangraphs.com and then by clicking around a little Okay, uh, that is the end of the advertisement. And what we do now at this point is to move on to a conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Today is well, today's Friday. This level's fine. Yeah, I think that you have mentioned that you're going to wait. It's already the uh, Arizona <laughs> Fall League Championship game. Yeah. When's that? Tomorrow. It's tomorrow. That's tomorrow a, in Scottsdale. That was a it was a swift season. I'm I'm sure. I mean, you've been attending every game, so you don't. It doesn't seem that way to you. Or, but uh, for Nutzer. I did. I happened to notice that um, for whatever reason, you. I think you probably you probably know that regardless that um, despite um, ha- despite um, being one of the longest tenured employees of Fangraphs.com, I do not have many administrative responsibilities, and this is by design, I think, right? But I do not help plan a trip. I do not know. You know, in some cases, we're about to hire someone. I do not know about that ahead of time. Many of these decisions are kept from me, Eric. Okay, right. and um, so I do not know why Arizona Fall League stats no longer appear at Fangraphs.com. I just uh, I assume it just has something t- to do with uh, whichever company, Baseball Info Solutions, whatever provides our data. I, mm-hmm. I assume it has something to do with that and. Just maybe it wasn't worth it. If it. I don't know if it cost extra. It's just a very innocuous thing, right? And I don't think that sure. – um, I don't think you're going to find a lot of people writing the site to say um, this ha- this data needs to be there, right? It has now, happened I, to me, but it is like a one once or twice thing. Right. And I used it sometimes, but also when I noticed it wasn't there, I was like, oh, that's fine. But what I 
what else I noticed, however, observed is because I knew I, I knew that uh, Arizona Fall League data, Arizona Fall League data used to be at Baseball Reference as well, but it is not there for twenty sixteen for twenty seventeen either. Yeah. What what? Why well, you say something knowingly now? Why are you oh, saying it knowingly I, like that? Uh, I mean, I've looked around because I want folly data sometimes. You know, I just want to see how guys are doing. And yeah. our site used to be the first place I'd go. Yeah. And then when we didn't Fangraphs. have it anymore. Fangraphs.com. Yeah. yeah. And then when we didn't have it anymore, that's then baseball references where I'd go. But now I'm just going to like the fall league website itself. Yeah. Which has some problems of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, yeah. So I knowingly said it because I too have sought out fall league stats and come up empty in various mm. places. Yeah. Well, I I went on. I took a brief tour of the unit, but I, and much like you, I settled on uh, the uh, essentially the the official site of of the fall league and found the found the relevant data because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to. I have a document on my computer. Uh, that is titled Fringe Machine. <laughs> Have I told you about that? No. Yeah, it's the Fringe Machine. And this is a document that al- that helps me to identify my favorite players, Eric. I use a couple of different techniques, a couple of methodologies mm-hmm. for, identi- for identifying players who might qualify as uh, a member of the Fringe Five, for example. Uh, or as one of Sestouli's guys in a, in a post by – in a in – a, uh, a truly substantive post by Eric Longenhagen, uh, such as the top 23 prospect list that appeared for the St. Louis Cardinals this past week. Um, and I and I will uh, – what I will do is I'll copy and paste some data into that fringe machine, and, uh, <laughs> and it provides me some – it gives me leads. So I wanted to do that for the, for the Arizona Fall League, just to, in, in case we were going to ask you about some guys, because I was going to ask you about some guys. Do you still have guys to ask about? Yeah, well, so Luis Urias, Urias, he comes out as mm-hmm. one of the top players. Yeah, I, uh, which isn't great. surprising. I think he's really good. He's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Was he not in already in Double A this year? Does that sound right? Yeah, he was. He was in San Antonio. I saw him there mid year. Um, he's still. 20? I think he just turned 20. Began, started the year at age 19. Yeah. Played all year at double A. More walks than strikeouts at double A for, uh, you know, as a 19-year-old for part of the season. Pretty good. Um, defensively fine at short. Like, there are worse big leaguer shortstops than this mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think in San Diego, where there's a lot of talent at that position in the farm system, that eventually he'll probably move off of there, just in deference to somebody who's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's Fernando Tatis in the long term, but for now, I do, or at least in the next year or two, I do. I do think Tatis is better there than Orias is. Orias is fine, whereas Tatis can do some spectacular things. Um but yeah, it's the watching him for six weeks in fall league. Uh, I'm very impressed. I think he's easily a top 100 guy, and a guy who I've asked myself like, is this a guy I stick an 80 on the on the bat? Whoa! And Tell me about your the, history of, of of placing an 80 uh, an 80 grade, 80, 80 future value grade on the bat on Tell a hit you. tool. I don't know. I I don't. Uh, specifically on the hit tool, I'm not sh- sure. What would you have done with Howie Kendrick as a prospect? Seventy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess Mookie Betts. Maybe I was was the last guy that I thought to myself, "Hmm, am I going to stick an eight on this guy's bat?" Uh, I haven't answered that qu- the question to myself yet. Yeah. Or, as it pertains to Urias, but I think the fact that I'm asking it of myself at all is <laughs> pretty notable. So yeah, I, I really like him and I think he's gonna be really good. An eighty an eighty hit tool. You know, I mean Betts has Betts has a two ninety two career batting average now. 
Right, so that's a 70. Yeah, and that's after batting 264 this year. Mm -hmm. And that is unlikely to recur, though, because he only struck out... He struck out eleven in eleven percent of plate appearances. In in this era, that's nuts. That doesn't make sense. What do you think that ranks? If you had to guess, you know, you know, we do, we do this with some frequency, Eric, right? Uh, right. We we recalibrate, and I assume that's important for you, right? Is to to calibrate, recalibrate to because mm-hmm. you have to you have to know what you have to understand what's going on at the major league levels, so you can you know you can have a, uh, that context for when you're evaluating minor leaguers. Eleven point one percent strikeout rate. Where do you think that ranked in the major leagues this year among qualified among one hundred forty four qualified batters? I bet it's probably in the top five. It's very close to the top five. In fact, it uh, it misses the top five by point one percent. Here, here is your top five. You ready? Oh, let me see if I can. I bet I can guess three of the guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. Name that tune. Okay. Altuve. No. <sighs> Twelve point seven percent, thirteenth. Justin Turner, Jose Ramirez were the other two. Yeah, those are both in there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which me, I mean, those guys are. That's that's insane because they're also hitting home runs. Yeah. Yeah, as is Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Joey Votto is probably close to that. Yes. You. Yep. Yep. Ninth. Eleven point seven percent. Uh, he's the he's the dot he is he has a PhD in the strike zone Joey Votto, he's the boss of the strike zone. Yeah, yeah, I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good. We've come to some. Now <clears throat> you've omitted Joe Panic. He's number one. Oh yeah, geez, yeah. kind of forgot about Joe Panic. Had a decent year. <sighs> yeah, I guess he did. Yeah, he did. He had a decent year. He was, uh, you know. That was not a great year for the Giants. That was a fine year for Joe Panic. He's mm-hmm. an average player. He was average in a lot of different ways. I mean, he made above average contact, but it's compensating for some other things that he lacks. Sure. It's fine. Yeah, the power specifically. Uh, Turner second. Uh, Andrelton Simmons third with the Angels. Mm, that's sort of surprising too. Uh, yeah, he's always had – well, he's an interesting case. I think he's uh, – perhaps he's fluctuated a little bit. But, uh, but he's, he's always, always had made strikeout rates in like the ten, eleven percent range. I guess it just never can. Like I never think about it because of it's. You know, you always just think of the glove and the arm. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a. Uh, I mean, with those, t- with between his defense and his ability to make contact, though, the floor is. Let's see. He was worth. Rough. He was worth one point nine wins in twenty fourteen, and you have to think if he's if he gets six hundred plate appearances. It's difficult. It would be a challenging for him to uh, produce fewer than two wins. Yeah. It would be unlikely. I mean, I suppose if you challenged him to produce fewer two wins, then he could he could manage it. You know. And then uh, number five was Yulieski Gurriel. Also pretty interesting. Yeah. But yeah, the Orius's strikeout rate, his career strikeout rate is below 10%. The 12.4% he put up in 2017 is twice twice what he did in 2016. Yeah. 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 So he's had success on balls in play as, an, uh, as a professional in the minor leagues. But mm-hmm. he has not really hit for much power what, you know, to speak of at all. No. And so uh, I'm curious as to how you – Evaluate that, I suppose, especially in the context of uh, of uh, the, uh, the 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 state of the game right now. With uh, you know, in theory, a a ball uh, with a higher what is it? Some sort of coefficient has a higher coefficient of something. It's juiced. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> is the point? Uh, do you say who? Probably he's going to hit for more power. Well, yeah, and I think so. The guy who I'm thinking about this specific thing right now uh, is Cubs, or the guy the guy who's caused me to think about this specific thing right now is Mark Zagunis, the Cubs prospect who has mm-hmm. like a 16 percent career walk rate, mm-hmm. and yeah, but doesn't hit for 
the sort of power that you want from a corner guy. And so this is the first prospect where I'm considering like, okay, is what does does the ball affect my decision making as it relates to this guy who can do a lot of different things but not enough of one th- of the power, right. uh, which I kind of need in an outfield corner. Uh, and so for Urias too, you know, I thought about it and someone asked me a question in chat this week about, uh, given what we've seen from Urias, like Urias turned on a 96 mile an hour fastball in the fall stars game and planted it like 420 feet away in left center field. Uh, is that a sign that there's more power in there than we've given him credit for or, so I think the, you know my answer is that for for prospects like Orius who hit so much, uh, I think that there's a chance that these guys hit for more game power, like they produce more game power on the scale than they have raw power. It's not common. Uh, I've seen Orius take BP multiple times. I've got a 40, 45 on his raw power. There's not a lot there. But if he hits everything, and the pitch he homered on was a 96-mile-an-hour fastball uh, that was, you know, it was piped a little bit. Um, but if he can punish those mistakes just because he's such a good hitter and make the most efficient contact possible very often, then I think that, yeah, he's got a chance to do more damage than, than his raw power. Uh, and what he's got, I'm looking at it now, he's got nine career professional home runs that's it since 2014 um i don't know it's hard it is hard how much does this guy have to hit how much does this guy have to hit if he's not hitting for power to be a a, an everyday big league second baseman i don't know he's a weird prospect carson he's weird (laughs) urias is yeah what's so what's it going to do for your evaluation of zagunas well Zagunas, so far what I've got with Zagunas is like, I'm looking and I've checked to see, does anybody who walks as much as this guy is, or as much as this guy has, not become some sort of useful big leaguer? And the answer is still yes. Um, the players who have been statistically pretty similar, uh, and from like a defensive projection standpoint are similar, are Robbie Grossman. Oh, yes. Uh, and Kosuke Fukudome. Okay. These are some other guys who, you know, not, not quite a, a fit in center field, uh, have some contact skills, don't hit for a lot of power, derived a lot of their value from their ability to reach base. But there ultimately wasn't enough in the way of physical tools for them to carve out like a regular big league job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's what the reports on Zagunas have have indicated. Uh, so, so I'm like at the point with Zagunas where it's like, okay, yeah, you can do this thing, one thing, really well, uh, but I, I'm not just not sure that's enough. I still think he's going to be like a big league bench outfielder, um, you know, like Grossman is, but uh, I, you know. His his walk rate was such that I considered like, well, how might this just be all that? Is it staring me in the face that this guy does this this one specific thing so so well that all his deficiencies don't matter? Yeah, At well, I guess instance, walk rate is a little no. bit difficult too. Is right? I mean, you also have to probably consider a guy's power on contact at the same time because if for guys without power, right? There's a relationship there. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, have you, I mean, I was, I was going to ask you probably more questions about Cardinals, uh, in this episode, um, but I know that you're working on the Cubs list right now. Mm-hmm. Um, have you come across, uh, have you done any thinking about Zach Short at the moment or so far? No, he's on the list though. He is. Yep. Hmm. Zach Short is a, I mean, I mean was a short, wanted, yeah. mostly a shortstop. I don't know if you, what your uh, analysis is of him, but uh, he made a number of appearances in the French Five this year, and yeah. I, I think that he was identified as one of the Matt Carpenters of the minor leagues, um, according to uh, just a terrific post done by 
What is this? Carson's a stoolie? Looks like. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is Carson's a stoolie. It is. <laughs> it is. Well, good so job. So he's on the list, huh? Good job, friend. Yeah, he's on the list, though. He's not an honorable mention. Uh Oh, I'm not sure about that yet. He'll probably be somewhere between. He's kind of in between. Oh. Well, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, Have I you heard anything too, about him? Have you talked to anyone about him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Uh, Did I see him this spring? No, I haven't spoken with anybody about their high A club yet. I did the top tier of prospects, like the Albertos, Alzale, Ademan, De La Cruz group. Mm-hmm. And I've been working my way from the bottom of the system to the top. So, you have that big Zach Short discussion coming up. It's coming. Yeah. Well, when you're talking with uh, Jed Hoyer, <laughs> when you're speaking <clears throat> with a snifter of brandy in, in one hand and your cell phone in the other, presumably. Yep. I'm going with, to Orlando uh, right now just to. Just with to team speak president. With these people. With team president Theo Epstein. Sleeper at high A. I would I would definitely mention Zach Short. Hey, ask about Zach Short. Short. Zach Short. And maybe Jason Vosler. You don't you, you thought about Jason Vosler in your head? Yeah, because he's a fall leaguer. Oh, what is he doing in the fall league? Uh what have you seen? First base, third base. Yeah, I was worried about first base. Yeah. I don't know, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's 24, right? Like he's 23 or 24 or something like that. I do think that there's some power there. Like it's not just an age thing. There was some like natural loft in the swing. Oh, I'm looking at my notes. Yeah. I think like this is a guy with some raw power and who can put the ball in the air reliably. I'm not sure that there's the sort of... Uh, this is weird. Hold on, because I'm going back and looking at two years of notes, and I, they're very different. Has this, is this the guy whose batted ball profile has changed significantly? Maybe making – he made less contact maybe this year than he had previously. Okay. Hold on. But he did some other things too. Riveting podcasting. Hold on. Yeah. Well, we, hey, uh, you know what we <laughs> okay, can do? Okay, it is. He has. Uh, Eric. Eric, you know on. what we can do? What? Start over? <laughs> no. But uh, we can play the Fangraphs hold music. No, this is fine. I have it pulled up already. Well, um, can we, maybe we could do it later, though, don't you think? Sure. Okay. Vosler, in 2016, spent much of the year repeating high A, where he played for like a month and a half the year before. So that's where he spent most of his time in 2016. There he posted a 36% fly ball percentage, according to Fangraphs. Yeah. Uh, this season... At double A, fly where he spent the entire year, uh, fly ball percentage up twenty percent mm. to fifty five percent ball well, balls in, fact, in play. Allow me balls. to. I will just make one pedantic uh, note, which is to say, not up twenty percent, up twenty percentage points. Oh yes, correct. Even more significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, he did something. Yeah, so there's something going on here. Oh, there's something happening here. Um, but yeah, so the first base thing is obviously kind of an issue, especially in this organization because they have a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's power that he's getting to now that wasn't there before. So something's, ball hap- off. something's well, happening. Hey, I would like to alert, because uh, you just invoked, um, and the way I typically look at it is, is to look at ground ball rates because they tend to be, uh, they tend to become, uh, reliable more quickly than um, than fly ball and and definitely than line drive rates. You know, um, so you right? Can yeah, I guess there's some line. there's some subjectivity to uh, precisely also categorizing that. the balls in the air. Exactly right. So so grab ball. But um, I know you wanted to talk about Zach Short shortstop prospect for the Cubs, <laughs> um, and you you have a couple conversations with <clears throat> top executives in the. Uh, in the Cubs organization, um, t- you know, a couple conversations lined up to, to discuss short. So what I would like to bring to your attention right now is that he, uh, both low A and high A this year, um, he ran one of the lowest ground ball rates in either case. 
So I just would like to bring that to your attention. Very interesting. Thirty percent ground ball rate. This is from a this is from a guy who's also capable of playing uh, capable of playing shortstop, which it appears to be. Yeah. So there you are. Let's give you uh, that. Some people might refer to it as a nugget. I would not call nugget. it a nugget, but other people might call it a nugget. You know, data point for you. For you, are you going to are you going to Orlando? You said you were. I think we, when we talked yesterday, you said you were in the process of deciding. Yeah, I'm still not sure. Okay. okay. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. I might not be there for the whole thing, but I'd like to be there for the Rule Five draft. That's true. What a what an occasion. And I'd like to be there in a capacity that is not as uh, distracted as I was last year, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little preoccupied with other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, because so you were uh, – your modeling career, I think, was oh, also yep. interfering. Correct. That's it? Yep. Your modeling career was interfering with your base. Sure you, where you were going with it. You, I know, just knew that you were – you had an opportunity – to pursue your modeling career a little bit more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think ultimately you decided that you just didn't like the culture. <laughs> you didn't like that it, you know, you didn't like the the complete emphasis on the body because you said, I think you said, I'm more than just a, I'm more than just a body. I'm a mind too. And while I would debate that, I think that it's important to you to think that. <laughs> Are you going to watch the Fall League Championship tomorrow? No. Okay. No. <laughs> no. I, I, in theory, I would love to, but in practice, I don't, I don't envision okay. it happening. You know what I am going to do tomorrow, as well as today and every day, is a nap. Take a nap. One of the great. I get very sad. Hmm. I get very sad after the Fall League Championship. Because what? Because we descend into. It's done. Yeah. Because everything is done. There's no Everything's more baseball to see until. Mm-hmm. Next year, <clears throat> you know, to the best of my knowledge, no one has observed anything like this. But I have often thought, uh, privately, that one might be able to, um, uh, one might be able to craft an analogy or a metaphor out of the seasons, and how, as humans, we go through essentially. We go through our own types of seasons as we as we go through life, you know. First, you start with spring, and everything is bursting forth, and it's full of life. And then there's the summer, and then you know you get to the autumn, your autumnal years, when there's a certain dignity to it, mm-hmm. but things are also um, falling apart, you know. And then the winter, that's like death. Do you think that will ever fly? That, like that as a sort of a metaphor for for our this uh our path through life sure okay good uh i just happened to ask you this is all from a a, an innocent question about um luis urias (laughs) that's what that's from okay i don't know how many more innocent questions maybe i'll ask you about a pitcher i didn't really i didn't even really know if i wanted to ask you about that you know who you know who has you know which pitcher has recorded probably the best peripheral numbers among all Arizona Folly pitchers? I mean, I'll tell you. No, uh, just tell me. Yeah, I'll tell you. It's Birch Smith. Wow. <laughs> Have you seen Birch Smith pitch this? Uh, <laughs> Have you seen him <laughs> pitch this fall? Now, Birch Smith, uh, by way of recapitulation, has uh, was at one point like a kind of Decent prospect, decent pitching prospects in the Padres system, who I think, uh, well, who definitely was recording uh, one year much better numbers than I think anyone could have anticipated, mm-hmm. and had also added velocity. However, when he came up to the majors, he did, he performed very badly, um, and his velocity wa- would uh, abandon him um, very early in games. The aforementioned velocity, and then I and then he had I don't know precisely what injury it was, but something um, significant it might have been TJ. Have you seen him pitch this off season? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when when did he debut? He was like 
like this is his second fall league go round. I want to say he was here in like 2013 as well. Was he a, like big leagues 2013, 2014, something like that? Yeah, 2013, 2013 like only, and then and then he faction. started the 20. What's that? There's like this strange faction of fall leaguers this year who have all been fall leaguers before. At times, like almost half a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Smith is like 93 to 97 here. Uh, plus curveball in the mid 70s. I've seen him miss bats with the change up too. It's pretty good. He's got like a, a long mane of hair now. Mm-hmm. That I'm pretty sure is new as well, so maybe that has something to do with it. He looks kind of, definitely looks dirtier. Do you think he'll work in relief? Yeah. 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 So I, he's definitely like, I don't think he's a prospect anymore, technically, you know? Like, I believe mm-hmm. he may have exhausted rookie eligibility already. But I think he could make an impact on Tampa's big club next year. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, he, you know, he showed a pretty good changeup uh, when he was in the majors uh, before. He had, now this is 2014 before, or 2013 before strikeout rates got super crazy, right? He he made ten appearances, seven of which were starts. So the majority of his innings were were in a starting capacity. Mm-hmm. He struck out twenty seven point five percent of the batters he faced. That's really good. Um, but he also recorded an ERA of six point four four, which you would have to say is not ideal <laughs> for for a young player attempting to make his mark on the game. I'm pretty sure I charted many of his appearances at Baseball Info Solutions while I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Birch Smith. Very interesting. I think I think he's gonna. I think things are gonna go well for him. Um, you know. Yeah, I think he's gonna. Yeah, I think he's a a big league bullpen piece of some of some kind. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. He, he's had. It's a bit, you've seen him. You said you've seen him this fall. Yeah, three to okay. six. Uh, plus curveball, plus like plus changeup. Yeah. All right. So yep. plus a lot of plus stuff. Plus, innings. and you know who else? So you know who's second? Is who? uh, huh? Who? Tell me. <laughs> Max Freed. I'm pretty sure I'm going to see Freed again on Saturday. I think he's going to okay. start the championship game for Peoria. Max Reed, if I'm not mistaken, was a selection out of Harvard Westlake High School. Very good. In uh, California, yep. LA area, the same school that has produced a bunch of other dudes. Pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, Lucas oh, Gilito, Lucas Giolito. Flaherty. Yeah. They're uh, all yeah. the same pitching staff, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. That's. That's hard. That's hard to measure. And boy, and Freed and, and Giolito were were both selected. They were selected in the same draft. Freed was actually Freed actually went ahead of Giolito. Freed almost went one one in that draft. Yeah. Instead of Carlos Correa. Yeah. Have we talked about that on here before? I don't. I don't think so. No. But that that would have been a that would have been. That's a pick the too. industry rumor. I've heard it from a lot of different places that Houston would have taken Freed. One one if the money was right, and it just was not. Uh, and they just liked the combination of Correa's talent and the discount he was giving them more than they liked the combination that Freed was willing to. And so Correa was the pick. Now, funny how things work out like that. Um, this, high, this is a high school that produced three first round draft picks in the course of three years. I learned today. I was just doing some well over the last like day or so. Justin Smoke and Matt Weeders were on the same high school team, and Paul Goldschmidt and Kyle Drabeck were on the same high school team. <laughs> you know, interesting, what you said before, Weeders and Smoke, right? Yeah. Both, I don't want to say it yet. Yes, I will say it. Both switch hitters as well. Yeah. That must have been challenging for opposing pitchers. Not only were they fantastic uh amateurs but they were they also had the platoon advantage in every every single case. Well, it seems like it would be challenging. 
so who's who has emerged from the Arizona Fuller? So I've asked you, all right, so I've asked Ooh. you about a couple pitchers. Max Fried, I didn't real, I hadn't realized, uh, actually made the major leagues this year. I didn't know that. Yes. Um, yeah, I can I can run you through all six folly rosters and talk to you about the the main guys, like the stars, the names that people knew coming in, how they have looked, uh, and then the the players who were notable for a strong statistical season, mm-hmm. uh, who I've sort of focused on, uh, and I can tell you about how they have looked. And then if there's anyone who's just completely come out of nowhere and looks and looks great, then I can I can talk about those guys as well. Oh, you think you're a big deal? No, I think <laughs> I live. I think I live, you know, within 25 minutes drive of half half the state falling yeah, stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I think I think you're great. And I'm not a moron. <laughs> I think you're great. Yeah. But like some of these guys. Uh, showed up here and have been really impressive and were players that even over the course of the regular season that I had not necessarily uh, checked up on. Because we've yeah. talked about this before on here. As the season rolls along, you know, I have my process of how I sort of uncover guys and start asking about them as the season is going on. Uh, and most of that content is rolled into the, the daily prospect notes that, that go up throughout the year. Um. So yeah, I'd like to. T- I'd love to talk to you about some of these, some folly guys. Well, what do you think about Lords Guriel? Lords. Yeah, thank you for uh, that's that was gonna be my first question. Okay. Uh, I could. Uh, I would tell you from the uh, statistical point of view, um, he has done. He has done an admirable job this fall, uh, both of limiting strikeouts, important, mm-hmm. both of hitting for some power, also important. Um, and uh, it appears as though, on top of all that, he would have some defensive value because he's generally deployed at shortstop. Yep, so Lord is his Yuli's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, another excellent, uh, another guy who's excellent at getting the barrel on the ball. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed by Lord is this fall league. I still generally have like a utility grade on him. He's not uh, terrific defensively at shortstop. Uh, played a lot of the outfield this year during the regular season. I've seen him at second and short here in Fall League, uh, where he's just okay. Uh, he does generate more power than I anticipated, given that, um, there's not a whole lot of, like, it's not an explosive swing. There's not, like, a, you know, a huge monster leg kick there. He, he does stay under control. There is some back control, uh, and, Yet there is like at least gap to gap doubles power. Uh, I still have like a low risk forty five on the guy because I do think he's like a low end regular slash super utility type more than like an average everyday player. Um, and also let's keep in mind that this guy is twenty four already. Right. So while he does seem like a shiny new toy because he just came over from Cuba. Uh, you know, he's 24. So okay. there's not a whole lot left in terms of development. He has held his own out here, and I do like him, but I don't think he's like a, a top 100 guy or anything like that. <clears throat> Let me ask you about another player who fits roughly the same profile, uh, at least so far as his Arizona Fall League numbers are concerned, um, and that's Nicky Lopez. Nicky Lopez, I believe, has been invoked... Uh, by by on the program before, um, y- because I've took some interest in him this year. He's a Roy- mm-hmm. he's a prospect in the Royal system, and you gave him, I think, some extra attention uh, when you wrote up the Royals this past year because you had actually you were uh, excited by his contributions at Creighton. I think that is where he went to school. Yeah, I do think that Creighton has an underrated baseball program. They've turned out a lot of interesting prospects over the last five to ten years. You know, well, maybe not a lot compared to places like Louisville or something, but more than you'd expect, and certainly more than the University of Nebraska has. Uh, and, yeah, I really like Nicky Lopez a lot. 
I think he's an everyday player. Um, he's an above average defensive shortstop. He has a plus arm. He's very smooth. He's only 5'11, 175. He is a small guy. Uh, but he sort of has that point guard build with like the longer arms than is typical for someone his size. Uh, and I do think it allows him like, he, he, uh, like there's just a little extra zip on his throws. Uh, he's always a little quicker and more balanced, like getting down, getting his glove down, uh, than you'd expect for someone like this size. It's not like that, that little tiny middle and field profile, uh, that, uh, is typically associated with utility guys. Uh, like if, if I were to ask you to pull, like, consider who visually is like the quintessential undersized middle infield guy, it would probably look something closer to like Sean Figgins. Uh, but Lopez is like, has a, is like a long levered guy, mm. even at 5'11. Uh, offensively, I think he can do some things with the bat. Obviously the power is going to be limited because of his size, but I have seen him drive some balls hard, uh, to the warning track, to the wall, into the gaps, over the center fielder's head. So I think there's, there's some extra base potential here, like 25, 30 extra base hits a year. And I think a good amount of them could be triples because of his speed. Uh, but probably not a whole lot in the way of home runs, but still at shortstop, I think that there's plenty of bat for him to play every day. Certainly a superior option eventually to like, I like, I wouldn't anticipate Kansas City, uh, re-signing Alcides Escobar, you know, maybe someone who's a placeholder, uh, and they just wait for Lopez. I think he's going to be an everyday guy. Yeah. Well, and he, uh, he's close. I mean, he... They only drafted him in 2016, mm-hmm. but he spent you know nearly half of this past year at Double A. Um, he didn't dominate, mm-hmm. but he also was not you know completely overmatched. Do you prefer him statistically to Raul Mondesi? Because Mondesi is one of those guys where I have less incentive to check on him because he's not technically a prospect anymore. Yeah, well, that's also probably why I've lost. Uh, touch of them. Let me see. The answer is, I think, yes. Yeah. The answer is... Okay. The answer is yes. Because I was never a big Raul Mondesi fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, his speed and, like, physicality does blow away Lopez. But, like, the strikeouts have always been... I've just never seen little Raul Mondesi play well. Like, he just never played well in front of me. He always looks uh, lackadaisical and... He just throws away at bats. I mean, you know, a lot of, when I saw him play was when he was suspended mm-hmm. and just sort of hanging out here in extended spring training and uh, was just cle- clearly not happy. But, like, do you know who I would never have caught or still one catch is, is Jonathan Scope. For me, he's the sort of player who's difficult to, to find. Um, I mean, you know, you can look at him and you can say, yeah, he looks like a baseball player. But... Scope was Scope was worth four wins this year. Were you aware of that? I, I mean, no, I guess I didn't. Yeah, he has really become what the best case scenario was. Uh, someone who played a good second base because he probably has vi- viable shortstop defensive characteristics, mm-hmm. and so is just very good at second base and also hits for enough power that you don't mind that he. As aggressive as he is, right? Well, he tightened up his control of strike zone like just just enough this year that it wasn't a complete detriment, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he had some whether it's fortune or skill, um, more balls in play landed. He hit for more power. Mm-hmm. Um, just a bunch of things across the board improved for him. To allow him to be, I mean, that may be his career season, you know, four wins, but, but, um, it, it, if he were, I mean, do you see how that Raul Mondesi could do that? I don't think his approach to contact 
will allow for anything like that sort of power output. You don't not think so? at all. Okay. No. This is part of where I think stuff gets lost in the statistics. Scope struck out a lot because he was so aggressive, whereas Mondesi strikes out a lot because there are fundamental issues with his swing. I suppose, yeah, you could probably pick that up somewhere, but it would, it's a, it requires a uh, further examination, right? It's the difference between, I mean, maybe one way you could do it, what, like what would serve as a proxy at least, is to look at contact on pitches in the strike zone, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe Scope's problem is he expands a lot, and which he does. Um, and then maybe the problem with <clears throat> Mondesi, I mean, maybe he whether he expands a lot or not, which it also looks like he does, maybe he's just not making as much contact in the zone. Maybe he's destined not to, you know, because um, that would that would be problematic, and that would sort of speak to the point you're making where. It's not. It's not a question of, of pitch selection. It's a question of actually making contact on pitches that are hittable. Does that seem right? Does that seem like a thing? Yeah, I think that. Yeah. Okay. We're running that by you. Uh, let's see where where are we here in terms of time? Okay, good. I have I have you for a little, I have you for a little bit longer, Eric. We haven't discussed the Cardinals at all. Um, okay. As of course your uh, inaugural dispatch for the 2017-18 prospect series. Um, Yay! Do you have any Do you have any general thoughts? First of all, on the list. Not particularly. It's an interesting system to do, um, because of the way the guys in their system perform. Uh. It, there are a lot of guys who look good on paper and then you talk to scouts and it's the reports are not great. And some of those guys turn out better than the reports indicate. And of course we've like we and everybody else who has ever discussed the Cardinals talks about this. Um but it is, you know, interesting and right now because the number of systems that I've audited is still pretty small. Uh, there's not really context for that sort of thing just yet. It's a system full of performers. There are some guys who, you know, have slipped through the cracks to some degree. Tommy Pham had a great year. His mm-hmm. prospect eligibility expired in 2014 or 2015. Uh, Luke Voigt was not on our Cardinals list at all last year um, and made it to the big leagues this year. Like, that's a problem. He's not someone who uh, has ever crossed my sights. You know, I've never had to think or write about Luke Voigt because mm-hmm. he just ascended. I don't know if he made changes or any, you know, whatever. Like, he got there over the last year. His prospect eligibility is gone. And so, like, I have no incentive to backtrack and try to figure out when and where and why he was either missed or made changes or whatever, because I just don't have to write him up for the system anymore. Um, so that's sort of something I've thought about, and I'm wondering where else it might occur as we go as we move through these other systems. Well, let me ask you about them. about someone who did graduate, but about whom you might have some opinions, and that is shortstop Paul DeYoung. Sure. Which, which, by the way, I, it, it's strange to say shortstop Paul DeYoung. Uh, yeah. I guess he was technically a shortstop in college, but he was in the Missouri Valley Conference, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he showed up on some of my um, uh, dumb college statistical stuff that I do. But just, have, just from looking at him, now, you know, I'm not a – I'm not a great scout, but I also have a sense of what shortstops look like. <clears throat> and of course, you uh, you published this what a month or two ago about the um, the you know the bodies mm-hmm. um, as best as you can understand the bodies of shortstops. I have to assume I don't know where Paul DeYoung came uh, where he appeared on that list, but I have to assume that his body type is not the most common there. 
Um, and I don't think that he was necessarily known for what would be called the transcendent athleticism. Correct. Yeah, De Young I saw last, he was a fall leaguer last year. And I liked his power on contact enough to rank him on last year's Cardinals list in a place that I thought was pretty aggressive. When I ran my list past people in baseball before it went to press, he was the guy who I was most often told that I should move down. Uh, and no, like, I don't like him at shortstop. I don't like a lot of the guys that the Cardinals have run out at shortstop <laughs> over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they play there. Like, they do, they do play the, that position every day. Um, and I think, you know, we've touched on this podcast before about why I think that's happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he did even more than I expected him to do. And I think I was like the high guy on him. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know how much of this is colored by things that are occurring that have nothing to do with the player himself, whether it's, uh, the ball or pitching velocities or some combination of a number of factors. But DeYoung is someone who, like, I believe that he can hit. And so I do think that there's, that he's like a, a valuable big leaguer of some kind. Whereas Aledmiz Diaz, I still do not, you know, uh, he was the guy that if we were doing this exact podcast a year ago, like you would be asking me about mm-hmm. because I did not like Diaz who I saw two fall leagues ago um, for, you know, some of the same reasons don't think he's a true defensive shortstop uh, can do some things with the bat, but not so much that I don't care that he can't play shortstop with Diaz though. It, he was a bat to ball guy who hit the ball on the ground a lot. Whereas the young is like the complete opposite. Right. Um, so a year a year after evaluating all 30 farm systems once uh, and sort of being forced to reevaluate some guys based on their success and some failures, uh, I'm looking back at guys I have been right or wrong about in the past and wondering, especially as it pertains to the Cardinal system, who just seem to have a lot of these guys, Voight, Pham, Diaz, DeYoung, uh, you know, how much performance is enough performance that you just objectively have to change your mind or admit that you were wrong? Uh, because with Aledmiz Diaz, despite the fact that he had a good season two years ago, like, I was loath to change my opinion about him, the one that I had initially. Uh, and whereas, you know, some if I had to rank Luke Voigt or Tommy Pham this year, and would have been forced to ask myself that, you know, I'm not sure what I would have said. It would have just taken, it would have just taken more research, I suppose. You know, inadvertently, I, I mean, I didn't realize the degree to which they were similar, but <clears throat> uh, Jonathan Scope and Paul DeYoung, and they have a couple of years in between them, but they have remarkably similar profiles. Um, it, in terms of like how they handled the the strike zone, in terms of their their power on contact, in terms of their defensive abilities even. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, it's very possible that DeYoung is miscast as a shortstop. And as you mentioned, Jonathan Scope might be sort of underutilized as a second baseman to some degree. Um, but they probably ultimately produce the same kind of value. Um, I, I, it's not It's not a... It's not two players I would have expected to lump together so much. I didn't realize how poorly DeYoung controlled the plate because I don't think that was really necessarily part of his his game as an amateur. I think he was, you know, then again, it was the, um, you know, it was the Missouri Valley Conference, conference. Yeah. yeah, which I assume is uh, less competitive. So, yeah, and then not, the other interesting parts of the Cardinals list were all those upper-level outfielders and trying to sift through those guys. Um, obviously I'm happy with the way I have them lined up and I've, uh, you know, put them where I put them for a reason, mm-hmm. but they did do some moving around throughout the process. 
Magner Sierra was always going to be the top guy, um, which I think some people take issue with because there isn't power there. And there really is not. Uh, he swing comps to Ben Revere. Uh, there's just not a lot of action in the air. Uh, but when you're a plus-plus runner and you have enough skill with the bat that you can... Uh, that you're pushing the ball to the left side of the infield, specifically like in that corner where a lot of third basemen will need to make a spectacular play just to to get you. Like that's pretty good. We've seen you know Luis Castillos and Juan Pierre's of the of the world make that approach to contact work with that sort of speed. And while Sierra like doesn't have great defensive instincts right now. Uh, there. I a lot of people think he's going to be like a Gold Glove defensive outfielder wherever they stick him. So I think that's a pretty solid fifty. You know. You know, it's interesting about everyday player about Sierra's. You know, entering entering the season. <clears throat> um, well, he was entering. This was this past year was his age twenty one season, so he's quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he had never played above low A before entering the season, and he. You know, he made uh, sixty over sixty plate appearances in the majors, yep. which is obviously not a, t- a typical path to the majors. But <clears throat> it occurs to me, and I suppose I'm interested in your thoughts too, just from what I um, from what I understand about aging curves, etc., is that uh, speed and defense are the the two skills which peak earliest. And it, so I suppose it makes sense that this is the sort of player who, if you thought his bat, well, A, that his bat was at all passable at the major league level, and B, didn't really expect him to um, to grow into any power. And in fact, any growing he did might adversely affect um, his, you know, his um, his greatest virtues as a player. Mm-hmm. This actually it makes sense, I suppose, that this is the sort of player that you'd want to promote really as early as was reasonably possible. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think his ceiling is is pretty limited, but I uh I think that there will be enough glove there that he's still a good everyday player. Right. Well, I mean, you want him to just go, I mean, you want him to run around a bunch, right? Yeah. Right. Uh and I and assume, then like the, go ahead. I assume that he that he uh is even if he doesn't necessarily have the the best possible paths, that he has uh, some sort of opportunity to um, to create uh, defensive value. Are you interested at all in where he resides in terms of sprint speed? Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's really high up there, but we could have a brief discussion about what sprint. Do you know what sprint speed measures, Carson? Without looking. Yeah. Okay. Tell the people then. Well, now I am looking, so I can tell you again, again. You ready? Yeah. Uh, well, this is it. It's a it's a Statcast metric available through Baseball Savant. That's how I access it, at least. And it's defined as feet per second in a player's fastest one second window. Yeah. Um, so even the fastest guys mm-hmm. take about four seconds. To go from home to first. So this is just this is not an average of anything. This is not a large sample boiled down into something. This is just their fastest one second window all year, assuming that they have at least ten max effort trials. Right. Uh, so you know, sprint speed measures less than a a, a quarter of what I think is the most relevant application of speed, which is hauling ass from home to first. I just think that, and unless you're a defensive outfielder, uh, that is the most frequent application of speed, uh, is beating out 50-50 ground balls. And so I'm not... Wait, even more so... Yeah, even more so than, than on the defensive side? Or is that what you were... I think uh, center field defense is probably like the number one 
app, like the most important application of speed. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that that's number one. Because can I re- can I read you the top five? This is actually if you limit the sample to one, but it doesn't really affect things much. Can I read to you the top the top five players by this measure? It's, Go ahead. It's Byron Buxton, Billy Hamilton, Hamilton. Magnuris, Sierra, Bradley, Zimmer, and D. Gordon. Okay. And if you were to make a list, you know, of the five fastest players in baseball, right? At least, I mean, you'd get. Uh, it's possible that you're not, you know, familiar with Magnuris Sierra, or, and maybe to a lesser degree Bradley Zimmer. But mm-hmm. the other three, but those guys would be on it, huh? But those guys would be on it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I think it does a pretty good job of capturing, capturing that. Don't you? You think it I does think, a good job? Uh, oh, I think that I think that the. I think the issues lie in the meat, in the meat of the sample, not not at the at the ends of the curve. You don't think there's the slowest a... guys are the slowest guys, and the fastest guys are the fastest guys. But there there are certainly players who are in the middle of that sample who get up to top speed much quicker than guys who are probably okay. uh, right there with them on a sprint. You're talking speed about straight line board. speed. Is that what you're talking about? A straight line speed. I guess so. Yeah, I, it's like I said. I think the the most. I think that the application of speed is most relevant from home to first. And that's just on the offensive side. You're including defense as well. Well, if you're a first baseman, then your speed doesn't isn't relevant defensively at all. No, you're right. No. And I think if you. Uh, but if you're that if fast, you look at the sprint speed leaderboards position by position, you'll be surprised to find that, like, right fielders uh, have a higher average sprint speed than the, than middle infielders. Like, I, I think that the that outfield, like, sprint speed on the infield at all is kind of like, you know, who cares at this point? We're talking about Paul DeYoung and Jed Jerko playing shortstop. <laughs> so maybe, yes, right. So... So speed. So there's a there's a gap between um, between infielders and outfielders by this measure. It creates it creates a gap where you could say <clears throat> um, his speed becomes an issue if you start thinking about playing him in the outfield, right? Yes. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think it's interesting. But yeah, I just think I think people misunderstand the sprint speed stuff, and I think it tells us less than than uh, it's assumed. I know that it's an objective measure of speed, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's an objective measure of functional speed. Uh, just like spin rate's not, you know, there still needs to be like a functional release there. Do you understand what I mean? Am I talking out of my ass? No, you seem to have considered it, which is all yeah. I really care about. Uh, hmm. I think it. I think. I think what you're. I think the point you're making is there's a question of context, and that you have to know. You have to know what the context is. But you could also say, like, you like what traditionally, if a guy doesn't, if a guy is kind of like fringy at second base, he moves to left field, right? That's that's a traditional path. Yeah, we see a lot of like the Eric Young Jr. types who it's second base and left field. There's not really anywhere else for them to go. Right. But then if you're just say, but maybe it's not true that all second basemen could naturally make that. Like like Daniel Murphy would probably be a bad a bad move. Like he he's probably less likely to make that transition to left field than you know Arizmendi Alcantara or something like that. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, where it's like you find out that the guy can't can't handle it at second, and you're going to move him to the outfield. There's there's a certain type of guy who would work and a certain type who wouldn't. I think that's what you learn. Hey, hey, Eric. What's up? It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, I like talking to you too, Carson. Yeah. Uh, well, I I think that you've probably fulfilled your obligation to the program. Do you feel like Do you feel like you said everything you need to say? I mean, I could sit and talk about all six folly rosters for just like 
on my own for probably an hour. Maybe I should just do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll say that I do think Peoria wins tomorrow. I think that they're going to go Freed, Zoich, Povsi, Graham, Munoz, and Warren, and that's going to be that. TJ Zoich was he not a product? Was he a product of uh, Boston College or no? Pitt. Uh, huh? Pitt. Yes, that's right. But I got the conference right. I like him. He's been pleasantly surprising. Very athletic for a six-seven guy. He's that tall, huh? Yeah, he's a big dude. Did he throw hard? Like 90, 94. Huh. How did he end up at Pitt? Do you have any idea? No, I don't. Huh. He's He was born in Ohio. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he was like as a high schooler. Yeah, I don't know. Either. Oh, Tukey, too. We might see Tukey tomorrow as well. Tukey Toussaint? Oh, no, wait. Never mind. Tukey just threw. Tukey threw yesterday, so he's probably not going to go tomorrow. With what organization does Peoria's is he pitching a, wins it? I'm calling is it. Is he in the Atlanta system still, Tukey? Yeah, it's, yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, man. Thank you I'm for joining. Go. Thank you for joining Fangraphs Audio. All right, you're welcome. I love you. That has been uh, lead prospect analyst Eric Longenegna. I'm Carson Testuli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.